happening with us on our podcast service. Welcome to the house of God here at Christian Outreach Centre here in Charters Towers. I'm so glad that you have joined us. And, uh, but this morning, I'd, I'd like if you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles in chapter 12. And I'm going to ring just a couple of verses here and then bring some meaning to it. I'll just have a quick drink. And so we here we have 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verses 9, 10, I think I'll read 11 as well. And so it says, So Shishak, king of Egypt, came against Jerusalem and took away the treasure of the house of the Lord. We're talking about treasure here this morning. We're talking about the precious possession here this morning. There's a bit of a theme coming through, isn't there? And... Uh, And he took away the treasure of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring them out. Then they would take them back into the guard room. And so the title of my message this morning is Don't Trade Your Bronze, Your Gold for Bronze. Did you get that? Don't trade your gold for bronze. And you can see in that verse, he took the thing, he carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made, and he replaced them with bronze shields. And he had to give all the beautiful gold shields to King Shishak of Egypt. And you may think this is an obscure passage of Scripture. However, let's believe together that the Lord will open up uh, your spiritual eyes and hearts and have an encounter with God here today about the precious things of God. But to set the scene or backdrop to this story, I'd like to recapture a little or a few of the events And it was prior to the wealthiest treasures of any kingdom on earth being totally emptied out. When it says it took away all the treasures, we're not talking about a small amount of treasure. We are talking about what has been described in the Bible as the wealthiest treasures on the face of the earth. This was no small thing, but we quickly glide over that. But to to begin with, it could be said that before Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah was financially ransacked, It was already in spiritual and moral decline. And it's true of us all in life, when you see physical things manifest, they've already happened by and large quite a while beforehand in the spirit, which has led to this onset. And so the title then and the main body of the message then is the glory days of Israel. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, the whole of Chronicles... And the, the book of Chronicles is about the kings of, of Israel, and, uh, but it's from a godly perspective. In the books of kings, you'll see it from a man's perspective, and it encompasses all of our short failings and fallings. Chronicles, from God's perspective, mentions many of our faults not. It doesn't mention them. And so we see in Second Chronicles chapter 1, it begins with King Solomon having coming to the throne, And remember those humble words, asking God for wisdom and knowledge in making his task of leading the nation. And not only does he give him wisdom and knowledge, which is what he asked for, but he also gave him immense riches, wealth and honour. And to this day, when you go to Hollywood, they have movies about King Solomon's mines and King Solomon this and King Solomon that. He is a name that we all know. And there would no, be no king before or after him in wisdom and in riches than King Solomon. So even wealthier than any Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. Second Chronicles 1.8, we see Solomon acknowledges the great mercy that God had for his father David. And so we see Solomon was the third king in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the new kingdom called Israel. The first king was man's choice, that was Saul. And then they had God's choice, which was David. And then David had a son by Bathsheba, and his name was Solomon. And he would become the wealthiest king and the wisest king the world has ever seen. 
And, uh, but Solomon built the temple using the preparation and riches that his father had accumulated. And humility and honor lay the foundation for his kingship, and the people responded accordingly. It's wonderful when you have good leadership, amen? And it could be said that businesses and churches alike rise and fall on good leadership. People say, oh, well, God is sovereign. But yes, he is. But he works through people. And when people walk disobediently, the people pay the cost. When a king walks obediently, walks reverently with God, walks prayerfully, and uh, the people uh, uh, enjoy. So the building of the temple and his own palace takes place. And so the kingdom throughout is fortified. This is the whole of Israel. It's fortified to its maximum borders, right up to the Tigris and the Euphrates River, right down to the river Nile. So it's an immense kingdom, the original kingdom of Israel, far greater in size than it is today. And, uh, and it flourishes and all surrounding nations pay tribute then to the king of Israel. That has been happening now for the second generation. But the glory of days of Israel had come. And whenever you think about Israel they, and the people reminisce about the glory days of David and Solomon. Second Chronicles chapter 9, we see King Solomon at the height of his reign and standing at the pinnacle of success and the queen of Sheba comes from afar to learn and witness as Solomon's fame had spread to now distant land. And you can see this is not an Australian story because she said, you exceed the fame of which I heard. And that's written in Second Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 6. And I'll go to it now so we can continue to go along in the same vein. And so... She and King Solomon. So, if uh, if somebody does things in Australia, we have an, a great ability to talk it up. Who's ever been in the pub in your younger years, your BC days, perhaps, and you're talking it up? And you, I did this and I did that, and the older I get, the better I was. <laughs> I saw a T-shirt like that once. I thought that's true. The older I get, the better I was. Isn't that true, Bob? <laughs> But here is Bathsheba, she said, uh, you exceed the fame of which I heard. Who's ever heard an amazing story and thought that can't be true? And when you got there, it was actually even better. Very few times do we encounter that in life. Small verse, but a big meaning. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 16, I'll read it. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of ham and gold. 600 shekels of hem and gold went to each shekel, in, into each shield. So we're talking about somewhere around, I think around about 7 kilos of gold went into each shield. That is a lot of gold, isn't it? They talk in minas. And, uh, but that, I, I just qu quickly equated it this morning. So it was at least 6 kilo, probably more than 7 kilo of gold went into each shield. So we're talking about an immense amount of gold here. He also made 300 shields of ham and gold. 300 shekels of gold went to, into each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. So we gloss over these things, but we're talking about the wealthiest kingdom the world had seen or will ever see. Amen? This was a huge amount of money. So when it said that Shishak came and took all these treasures, we're not talking about a small amount of treasure. Not just like a little box like you see on Gilligan's Island or something like that with a few gold coins and a few gold chains hanging out of it. No, we're talking about a lot of dough here. So the building and the temple and his own palace take place. This is the kingdom of Solomon. And the, the kingdom is fortified. It flourishes because wisdom is in the house. Where wisdom is in the house, you know, you see people flourish. There's always plenty of food. There's work for everybody. Good conditions, living conditions, fresh water, running water, all these things. The glory days of Israel. And so uh, it is here where we see the, re the shields of gold in 2 Chronicles 9, 15 and 16. And so Solomon stood at the peak, but it was also at the top of the slippery slide of success for the nation of Israel itself. And it's amazing how the glory of man is so short-lived. It is amazing. King Solomon accumulated wealth. 
he accumulated wealth like women. <laughs> 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's not a bad effort, is it? And so he had chariots, horses and other things that were not in his job description. They weren't given. It wasn't for kings to collect women and chariots. Amen? The Bible says they were not to collect women. They weren't to collect horses nor chariots. And, any, and Solomon did all those things. Amen? Reminds me of a joke. Yeah. Too much wine, women, and song. I think I give up singing. <laughs> <laughs> Solomon could have very easily fit into that category there. Amen? He must have come home every night thinking, too much wine, women, and song. I think I give up singing. But anyway, he be, but they, these things became a snare to him. His foreign wor, uh, wives led him into pagan worship and witchcraft. Amen? And you can't mix witchcraft and pagan worship. Amen? You can't mix those things. They will not work for you. Don't mix your pagan beliefs with, with, with Christianity. They will not work for you. The Bible's very, very clear from Genesis to maps. And so Solomon stood at this peak of this slippery slope. And, uh, but these things became a snare to him. The glory days of the king, kingdom of uh, Israel pro proved to be very few. And so it was already in judgment by the end of Solomon's reign that a judgment was to come upon the land itself. And his own son Rehoboam came to the throne. Solomon lived and died. And then his wealth and everything that he did passed on to the next generation. That is life. Doesn't matter what we have in this life. It, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord endures forever. You take nothing wherever you go. Whether you go to heaven, whether you go to hell, you will take nothing with you. Amen? You will not take a scrap. You will not take a feather. And so, and so Rehoboam comes to the throne. And uh, I'll read uh, from... Uh, uh, Chapter 9, 2 Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 30 and 31. Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over Israel 40 years, as did his father David 40 years, as did Saul, the first king's reign also for 40 years. So we're now in the fourth generation of kings. And then Solomon rested with his fathers, buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. We see here in the Second Chronicles, and we are, and uh, Rehoboam then has been given some. Uh, he wants to give uh, get some advice on how to run his kingdom, and it says then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon, which he still lived, saying, "How do you advise me to answer this people?" The people were asking that the yoke and heavy bondage of their rulership of the previous rulership be lifted. And so he consulted Solomon's advisors. Now, Solomon's Solomon is recognized as the wisest man who ever lived. He had a council of good advisors. But we see here that the young Rehoboam rejected, in verse 8, the advice which his elders had given him, and he consulted with the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. Amazing, isn't it? He rejected good, godly uh, distilled wisdom which was given to him and the young king he was 41 years of age but you would still consider young for a king he came into the throne and rejected the advice of Solomon's court amen how foolish could you be and he took the advice of the guys he went to school with and I've mentioned this before that in the 90s there was a move across the corporate world and in the church when they lifted up young people to positions of honor and leadership way before their time. And, but it's, it's not a wise thing. The Bible says it is not a wise thing to promote young people before their time. What happened in the corporate world is the same as in the church. There was a lack of wisdom and even though these young people had great giftings on their life, great callings on their life, they had not yet the developed character to support the gift on their life. Amen? That's why people in Hollywood cannot last very long, because there's no content of character to support the gift on their life. There is no doubt they can sing. There is no doubt that they can dance. There is no doubt that they can entertain, but they do not have the character of life to support the gift. And what happens is the gift crushes you. And Hollywood is a great example of the gift 
crushing people. Amen? That's what Hollywood is. The morally dead with a good-looking head. Amen? That's what I've always called it. <laughs> That's Hollywood, isn't it? They look so beautiful, but morally, most of them are quite dead. And so, uh, and so the, the people responded very, very quickly, and they said... When they, and there was going to be an increase in tax, there was going to be an increase in this and an increase in that. And the people responded, they say, every man to, you, to his tents. What part have we to do with the house of David, said they, the leaders. And every man went to his tent, they rejected the leadership. The kingdom of Israel was divided. And you think, what were the consequences of that? I'd like to tell you what historically the consequences of that division the kingdom of Israel was divided here. Amen? And we're, we're talking about over 2,700 years ago. 2,700 years ago. And it was uni not united again till June 7, 1967, when Israel and Jerusalem, the city, was reunited. The repercussions of, of taking the wrong wisdom. Amen? The wrong counsel had repercussions for over 2,700 years. Amen? Do decisions matter? Yes, they do. Can decisions have the so far con reaching consequences? Yes, they do. You think, oh, it's only just a small decision here or a small decision there. No, but a, a life is made up of small decisions. And if you make decisions one by one in the steadfast way that the wisdom of God shows us how to build a life, you will build a successful life and you will build something that will not topple over. Amen? You can build a tower of Babel pretty quick, and it looks impressive. Towers generally represent things that rage against God. Amen? And it says in 2 Chronicles eleven seventeen, let's go to that just for a moment. And so, uh, oh no, so in, uh, in 10, in 2 Chronicles chapter 10, uh, Rehoboam, oh, in verse 13, it reiterates that King Rehoboam rejected the advice of his elders. Let's go straight to 2 Chronicles eleven seventeen. I use scripture because there's power in the word of God. Amen? And it, I ask that you take notes and have a look at these scriptures when you get home because they will build your life. They will build your life because it's based upon, not my theories, uh, uh, but not my... It's based upon the word of God, amen, and it is a sure foundation for your life. In verse 17, so they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, strong for three years because they walked in the ways of David and Solomon for three years. Now, there's not a word in the Bible that has gone to waste, and it says that basically Rehoboam lived a godly life in wisdom for three years. And then... Uh, in verse 12 now, it came to pass, in chapter 12, had established the kingdom and strengthened himself. It says that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. Amen? So Rehoboam has a change of heart, or what was in his heart becomes revealed to all to see. And so it is, so there it is, and it happened to him in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. The reason was because they sinned against the Lord. So Rehoboam served God for three years. And then it says in the fifth year, so there was two years when he was basically going against and raging against the plans of God. But it didn't reveal itself for two years. There can be things going on in your life and everything is hunky-dory. Your life is raging against God and you think, I'm just doing fine. Why do I need to bring any change to my life? I'm just doing fine. I want to tell you today, there will become a day when things will be revealed and your life will reveal the fruit of the life that you live. You will begin to produce fruit in your life that is not good, amen? But at the present time, it's almost like, and then there was a suddenly... King Shishak then was at the doorstep of King Rehoboam. But it was two years King Rehoboam thought he was just cruising. He thought he was doing real good. But judgment was soon to come. And it says there in verse 5, Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me, therefore I have also left you in the hands of Shishak. In other words, you can bear the responsibility of your actions. 
If you walk with me, I will be with you. But if you rage against me, my hand, my hand of provision or my hand of protection. Amen? The hand of blessing is also the hands that protects. And we forget that when the blessing of the Lord lifts off your life, the same hand, the same hand of blessing is also the same hand of protection. And while he was walking with God, there was a hand of blessing. That's all they ever speak about, the blessing. But when the hand of blessing lifts from your life, the hand of protection also. And Shishak, king of Egypt, he was delivered into his hands. And so that brings us then back into verse 10 of that thing where I started. Then King Rehoboam, so he had to give all the treasures of the wealthiest kingdom of earth were given to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And they were paid to as, as, as tribute. And there was, great, there was a great reason there. I'll see. Oh, yeah, I'll come to that in a sec. Just getting a bit ahead of myself here. And so the tide begins to turn. The fifth year, Shishak, king of Egypt, was knocking on the door. And so Jeroboam sins. And it says also that the people sinned. And so leaders have an ability to influence people for good or to influence people for not so good. When I became a Christian after about a year, I used to have a casual beer, and I mean one or maybe two beers. When I realized, and I wasn't elevating myself, but I knew, I knew I was a person of influence, and I could influence people. In my younger days, I could influence somebody to go and buy another carton of beer. But in my, in my days walking with God now, I, the Bible says it doesn't, it doesn't speak, it doesn't say you can't have a drink, it doesn't say that. But when you realize you're a person of influence and you drink, then you are accountable. And what I did is I made a vow to God. I said, I will never have a drink. I will never cause one person to stumble on this line. If somebody sees me drink, they will say, oh, yes, if it's okay for Jeff, well, then it's okay for me. And I knew I could have one, but that person there knew he couldn't stop at 10. And that would bring accountability on my life. And so Rehoboam here, he sinned, but he caused his whole nation to sin. His whole nation then would mix it up with false gods, foreign gods, gods that were driven from the land, people were beginning to embrace. And we are in a season of time, it's called the repaganization of the West. And people begin to dabble in witchcraft of all sorts of things, which these countries have been delivered of from centuries and centuries. Europe was delivered from witchcraft 2,000 years ago. And I'm going to bring that message again. Priscilla's asked me to do it, and I will. It's, it is on Podbean, but not everybody listens to it. And it was uh, breaking the breath of Python, I think it was called. But I will bring that message again, and uh, because it deals with, uh, demonic strongholds over nations and the re-emergence and the re-embracing of pagan uh, witchcraft cults, amen? And that is what's happening across the West at this time. So uh, Israel itself was a buffer state. You say, well, why did the king of Egypt come up? And you'll see on ancient maps, the, uh, the map of Europe, the map of Africa and the map of Asia begin with the belly button of Israel. And out of the southern part comes a big clover leaf, and that is Africa. Out onto my right-hand side, your left, is the big clover leaf of Asia. And to the, uh, to the other side there is the big clover leaf of Europe. And Israel, as a nation, is a buffer state to three continents. It's amazing, isn't it? Israel is one of the most strategic, I would say it is the most strategic place in all the earth. It is only a piece of land, 550 kilometers long and 80 kilometers wide. On most maps, it's hard to see. It's just a slither of Tasmania. That's all it is. Just a slither, tiny slither of Tasmania. That's all it is. And so uh, Jeroboam then pays tribute for the first time in two generations. You see what happens when you don't have the right leadership in the land. The wealth and the welfare of the people was gone overnight, built up by 80 years of prosperity, amen? 80 years of increasing prosperity and influence and safety for the people. Golden shields were given as tribute, replaced with bronze. And you think, why? Well, what's significant about that? So they replaced these 
beautiful golden shields and they replaced them with lookalikes. That's what they did. They would, bronze doesn't look significantly different to gold. It's still shiny. Probably shines up more brighter, amen? And that's just like the devil. I call it the bright lights of hell. But there's nothing significant or weighty about that original bronze. When you talk about the kavod weight of God's glory, it's all, the kavod means the weight of God's glory. Anything to do with God and his kingdom has substance to it. Bronze was of very, very little value, but gold was significant in its value. Copper or bronze shines really good. But they had achieved a higher standard. The people of Israel had achieved amazing things in this space of 80 years. And anything less than gold was inferior and a counterfeit. Anything that is a counterfeit. Amen? Anything that's a counterfeit. Anything that's a counterfeit. It's light. It's shiny. It's plasticky. Amen? That's a counterfeit. And the devil's good at doing counterfeits. And so they had exchanged something of great value for what is very, very common. But the question to each and every one of us today is, don't trade your gold for bronze. What are you trading in life? Are you trading your, your virginity for, for what is supposedly a good time shortly? Amen? Have you traded that off? Do we trade off our integrity and the integrity of God's word for quick gain but ultimate loss? We trade our gold for, for bronze every day of the week in our lives. We do. We trade it off so cheaply. But God in his word, he says, he says, don't trade your gold. Don't trade your gold for bronze. Don't do it. And if you have, repent and begin to walk a steady life, a certain life, an assurance. God has given us assurances in his word of eternal life if you walk according to his word. He loves you so desperately and so dearly. In the 1970s, you know, what we saw, the people saw it was just business as usual. Or they could still see shields on the walls. They didn't look too remotely different. But I'd like to, to make a, a bit of a modern analogy here. In the 1970s and 80s, in Australia, the rail system, the water resources, the power, numerous government resources, they were owned by the people and Australia had almost no debt. What happened? We traded our gold for bronze. There was a little debt, but today they've been almost all of government and the, they are the people's resources. They are your resources they sold. The people, the people's resources they sold off at fire sale prices. Fire sale prices. Even our seaports and airports have been mostly sold off or in the hands or influence, even in Australia, of foreign interests. The Darwin Port, for instance. Numerous places all around Australia, the most uh, amazing agricultural lands have all been sold off. I mean, sold off. We don't own it anymore. But to us, it looks like business as usual. It doesn't look any different. You see, we sold our gold and we traded it for bonds. On the surface, it looks as though nothing has changed. Clever politicians and economists may even well say... Eventually, we own nothing, but we shall be happy. <laughs> Who's heard that recently? You will own nothing, but you're going to be happy. Amen? And we suck on this lie till you're left with gravel in your mouth. Fear was Rehoboam's motivation and the tribute he gladly uh, paid. The treasury owned nothing, but he said, we're going to be happy. I've paid Shishak off, the king of Pharaoh, paid the kings of the earth off, and now we can just get on with our lives. His shield of faith was long gone, and it's a now a generation that's lost its way. I'd, I'm afraid to say if you would discern the signs of the times, you would have to say that we here in Australia are not living in the days of David. We're not living even in the days of Saul. We're certainly not living in the days of Solomon. We are, in fact, living in the days of Rehoboam. We've sold and traded off our gold and we replace things with bronze. We're told, and just to be happy with that, amen? Australia has lost its way. Its people have lost its way. And in the light of Ephesians 6, the whole armor of God, it's clear to us that King Jeroboam and his negative influence upon the people 
had not put any of the armour of God on. In fact, he had cast it aside. He had no care for God. It said he raged against God. He did not walk with God for two years. He probably, in his heart, hadn't done in the first three years, but was, was with complying with the people as they lived under the greatest uh, civilization the world had known up until that time. The queen of Bathsheba said, Oh, it's better than I ever, ever expected. Happy are those who walk in the court of Solomon. But, but Rehoboam cast it aside. So when the day of evil had come, as it speaks about in Ephesians chapter 6, 13, write that cross-reference down. For the sake of time, I won't go there. So when the day of evil has come, they would not be able to stand their ground. They had no shield of faith. They were operating out of fear. And so forget about standing firm. The nation were weak at the knees and at the sight of the approaching army. It says there, oh, I had a reference there before, but you can see it. Uh, there was, oh, yeah, there is. In, in Second Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 3, you can read that. It says there were 1,200 chariots of Egypt. That's a lot of chariots. That's a lot of men. 60,000 horsemen and people without number. So forget about standing firm. The nation I've described, they were weak at the knees and at the side of the approaching army. They had the unfortunate disposition of incontinence and it was becoming a national pandemic. <laughs> they saw the army, amen. They went watery at the knees. I got an idea they did more than that, amen. They were weak at the knees. There was no faith, fear. Had, but you see, it didn't happen overnight. We think these things happen overnight, but they do not happen overnight. Ephesians 6 and 10. I should just quickly go back to Ephesians 6.10. As we have been speaking about Ephesians for the last three or four messages, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. So there is our call to arms and in the power of his might. And there is Paul rallying the troops. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So they had needed an ability. If you need an ability to stand, you need to put on God. Walk with God. And you will not stand otherwise. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. In other words, it says, you do not have an ability to stand if you don't have God. Amen. You will not. There is days coming upon the earth when people are saying mountains fall on us. Amen? We say, oh, that's going to happen. That's a, that's a next generation. That's a next generation. Theologians tell us there's nothing to stop God from returning and the rapture of the church any moment. Perhaps I'll finish this message. But there's nothing theologically that's actually got to happen before that happens. And there will come a, a day upon the earth and people will say mountains fall on us. It's a horrific day, and we don't like to talk about it much. And so, Ephesians 6 reminds us that the battles are won and lost in a before a single arrow is being shot. Amen? The time for preparation is now. And I've said it in the, in before on, on several occasions, the business world used the five Ps in regard to being prepared. It says prior preparation prevents poor performance. Turn to the person next to you and say, prior preparation prevents poor performance. Oh, that was, that was really sad. Come on, Brad, you've got to get in with it. Prior preparation prevents poor performance. No, Brad's not going to be a part of it. He's not going to be a part of it. But then again, there's the six Ps, and it says proper prior planning prevents poor performance. Try that one. Proper prior planning prevents poor performance. Yeah, <laughs> That's Ephesians 6, amen? Planning, proper prior planning. The belt of truth coupled to the breastplate of righteousness had been disbanded and the preparation and readiness that comes from the gospel, they didn't even see in as being relevant as the people embraced and went back to other gods. I encourage you today, don't dabble in the occult. Don't dabble in witchcraft. Don't dabble in pagan beliefs or mix it up with your Christian beliefs. Stand firm, throw those things off, amen, 
and come out of her. Be separate, says the Lord. Be holy, for I am holy. The Bible says the pure in heart, which means undiluted, undiluted, the pure in heart shall see God. Amen? The pure in heart. Don't mix it up. It was only a little bit of poison that killed Snow White with the apple. Amen? The rest of the apple was good. But that's what's called mixing it up. Amen? And so... The change and failures against Rehoboam are plain. Amen? Plain. In 2 Chronicles 12, 14, And he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. You see, there's the, the, the iniquity. There's the evil there. Unbelief is a wicked spirit. Amen? It's a wicked thing to have in your life. Unbelief. It is a sin. And it says, And he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Seeking the Lord is righteousness. Not seeking the Lord is called here evil. You say, well, that's a bit harsh, Jeff. That's what the word of the Lord says. So financial kingdoms. I'm going to go and have a look at some earthly kingdoms now to paint a picture of where we are now. Financial kingdoms, particularly family dynasties, seem to follow, as I have observed, and most here would have after a few years, they follow a certain pattern. Spiritual moves of God often sadly face this same pattern. You will recognize this. The first is this. Pioneers come and with nothing to lose. They come to build the land. They come to build nations. They, become, uh, they come to uh, build a business, for instance. And the King Davids of this world would fit that... The Pastor Toms, for instance. Pioneers, Amen. They come in, nothing to lose. They came in here with nothing, they left with nothing. But they had everything in God, everything in God. And they began to build. And they worked hard. And they took risks. But did they? I say a, a, walk, in, a walk in faith is not a walk in the dark, it's a walk in the light. When you're walking with God, you're walking in the light. That's a walk of faith. We think it's the unknown. Sure, we... The Lord often shows us one step of the staircase at a time. Sure he does. But they will work long hours with initially little reward, or more correctly, no reward. Amen? And, uh, and they will press on and pay the price, whatever it costs. They don't care. How long, how long will it take you to do this? Oh, I don't care. When will you stop? When I'm finished. These days, when it's five to four, most people are downing tools and are already in their car, lighting up a smoke. Shocking, isn't it? Clock watchers, we used to call them. Clock watchers. Gone are the days when people saw the job through. Hang on, hang on to their tools for an extra 20 minutes and so they didn't have to reset up the next day and go over the whole stuff. It's a whole mindset change. But the work and commitment begins to pay off and an empire is built with great satisfaction as they started with little or nothing. And vision held them firm and their moorings were secure in the storm. Did the storms come? Yes, they did. It's almost a promise from God. Storms will come in life. That's a promise. 33,000 promises in the Word of God. Amen? 33,000. There's only 31,102 verses in the whole Bible. So there are more promises from God than there are verses. But that's what it says. The storms in life will come. So the second phase is heirs to the dynasty or the heirs to the empire. And King Solomon, they are the King Solomons of the world. Amen? You could see that David was the fighter, King Solomon was the kingly and the statesman. You see? Different roles. They do progress. And they are born into the vision and they partake of the fruits even at young age. Dad's been working hard and already the fruits of dad's hard labor are beginning to pay off. And they have seen and witnessed the cost paid and respect the cost of that dynasty as it grows. Amen? That was Solomon's dynasty. And then we see the silver spoon generation. Would you like me to describe it? <laughs> you can know, you know what it looks like, don't you? You know what it looks like. Children of another generation now are born, they are born into the great gains that were made. But they have not paid any price, nor have they witnessed what it took to build the empire and therefore have no real respect for the, of the resources, they have no real respect for the people, the past effort, effort, and they lack the wisdom to even maintain what was handed them on a silver platter. Would that be true? It's a harsh reality. But how long have we seen in the media empires, fathers and sons and, 
and all the stuff that goes on. Even in the, in the royals, the hard-working royals, and there's the, the heirs and the spares, so to speak. Amen? You can see how kingdoms come and kingdoms go, don't it? And, uh, and so this story here in Second Chronicles, in that first half of the whole book of Chronicles, illustrates this here in a nutshell. Fear and not faith was the motivation of King Rehoboam's actions. Anyway, so, so, so briefly on faith, before I wind up, when faith leaves the door, it exits a door that remains open and fear enters the door. Amen? When you're born into something, you have to grab hold of faith for yourself. You cannot inherit faith. You may have come with your parents. You may have come along with your mum or dad or uncles or aunts or maybe you're here begrudgingly. But you, you have to develop your own faith. Amen? And the door, and it, uh, the door that fear enters is the same door that faith, faith, faith left open when it left. But what often comes in with a house that is swept clean? Faith, when faith leaves a person, the house is swept clean. It's a neutral situation. What comes through that door next is what's going to take dominion. Amen? When fear comes in, there is a spirit attached to fear and it is not of God. Fear is not of God. Fear is not of God. Is It is a demonic spirit. Amen? We should call things what they are. In Christian circles, this sort of terminology they don't like anymore. Amen? They don't like it. Not politically correct. But it's, uh, there is no such thing as a spiritual vacuum. Amen? And Europe has found that out in the last 20 years. 20 years ago, they were rejoicing over their post-Christian Europe. Amen? Now it is not a Christian Europe. Are they boasting about it now? No, they're not. Because hell has broken loose and most of them have lost their identity as nations. Amen? And so uh, fear dominates only by default when faith lies dormant or becomes inactive. Faith should not remain dormant in your life for very long. I pray it's never dormant. But if you're not in the faith, I say get back. If you move one step away from God, it is one step too far. And step back into faith, step back into the things of God, and you'll notice that a tremendous joy, vision will return to your life. Direction will uh, return to your life. And so long before the shields were removed, their guard was already down. The liberties were not taken from them. And this is true with the church today. The liberties have not been taken from the church. They have been given up. You see that? People say, oh, these is, our liberties have been taken from the people in Australia. No, they have not been taken from the people in Australia. People in Australia are intellectually, politically, and spiritually lazy. And they have, we have, not, they have not been taken from us. We have given them up. It's a big difference. And it means that we ourselves are responsible for the level of darkness depends on the level of light that is in the house of God, in your life. Amen? When you're a roaring flame for God, darkness must flee. These are spiritual laws. Spiritual laws. And so faith, therefore, is our greatest faculty, falling far short of intellect and everything else. Uh, the other way around, sorry. Intellect falls far short of faith, the God kind of faith. So there are a quick, couple of quick lessons here as Jules comes to the keys. But the... The quick lessons here are honour the wisdom of your fathers and your forebears. Amen? And it's not, we're talking to a generation who doesn't like to hear from that sort of thing. Um, but that's the way it is. Set your heart upon God. And uh, Luke 18, 8 says, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is returning soon. Amen? And does God have an issue with us when there is no longer faith in our life? And the fact is, he does. You say, well, I, I just don't have that faith. As if you're not responsible for walking in faith. But the Bible always, it doesn't deviate, it calls things. If something's an axe, it calls it an axe. It doesn't call it a, 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 a big cutting implement. It calls it an axe, amen? And God has a charge against us if we are not walking in faith. Why? Because the means of obtaining faith are clearly outlined. You say, I'm of little faith, or I don't have enough faith for that. But Romans 10, 17 puts it this. He says, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This is one book 
Sure, it's a book that reads you before you read it, and that's why you're uncomfortable with reading it. It exposes things, things in our life, and, but it's so that we can repent. That is a good thing. Repentance is a gift to us. It's not a judgment to us. It is a gift to us. Having the capacity to repent is a fantastic thing. I can turn today. Repentance is not just saying I'm sorry. Everybody says, oh, I'm sorry. No, repentance actually looks like something. It means turning the opposite way and beginning to walk a different path. Many people, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Talk is cheap. Talk is absolute cheap. That's not a man saying. That is a God saying. Amen? Repentance means turning this way instead of this way. It is an action to it. Amen? When you read the Word of God and it says to do this, do it. Blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God and obey it. That word Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear means in the Hebrew to listen, to obey, and to respond. Beautiful, isn't it? That's what the Bible says. To listen, to obey, and to respond. Faith is a substance. And gold shields have substance. And substance means that you either have it or you don't. If today you don't think, I'm not really walking in faith. I don't have clear direction or this or that. The Bible says you can get that substance. Begin digging into the Word of God. And the, the Bible has an, an amazing ability, a divine ability to impart faith into your heart as you read it with a good heart. You can read it with a cynical heart and receive absolutely nothing. But if you come to God with a good heart, faith will be imparted and a life can be transformed. And actually winding totally up, my last scripture is Proverbs 3.13 to 15. And we're talking about some things today, a common theme of something that is precious, something that is gold, something that is silver, something that's like a great pearl of great price. And Proverbs uh, verse 3 and 13, he says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Rehoboam had an opportunity to gain wisdom. He had all the wisdom of his father's court, Solomon's own court, given to him. And yet he rejected it. So it means we all have choices. God does not force one single person. Whosoever can respond to the gospel. Whosoever. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver. This is wisdom. And her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. And all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. The two things against Rehoboam was that he acted unwisely and he departed from God. And the nation paid for it right up until this point in time. And the casualties of his wisdom, his haughtiness, his smugness, being independent from God, wanting to do his own thing, cost, his, cost himself and he cost his nation and his people. And when you walk wisely with God, you too will begin to influence those people around you. And you can influence them to seek God or you can seek them or you can instruct them to disregard God and go your own way. If your children follow you, where will they go? What a good question. If your children follow you, will they know how to pray? If your children follow you, will they know how to worship? If your children follow you, will they know how to come to the house of God and be in good fellowship? If your children follow you, where will they go? What a, what a weight of responsibility that each of us has. In the workplace, you have a, a measure of influence. We all have a measure of influence. Amen. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I'm just going to pray a prayer. And if you pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it, those listening on online, you will... Your life will be transformed 
Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you now. I acknowledge that I have gone my own way. I have sought the wisdom, Lord, of people who are not of God. But I come to you now. I repent of my sin. I ask that you forgive me of my sin and that the blood of Jesus would wash and cleanse me as white as snow. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Saviour and I invite the Holy Spirit to come into my life. Wash and cleanse me. And I thank you, Lord, that I can rejoice, that I am born again, born from above, born anew of the Spirit of the living God. And I will never be the same in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. stand and let's just worship him. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. And nothing, nothing I desire compares with you. Let's sing this beautiful song. Lord, you Yeah. Mm-hmm. 